Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. I just read an interesting statement. Um, A Hindu man had tangled with a Christian on on a flight, on an airplane. Hmm. And they, they, they got to talking and the guy, the, the, the Christian, the, the pastor ordered a Coke and the Hindu guy ordered water. And um, so he asked the guy, and this is a true story. He asked the man, why did you order the Coke? And he said, well, because I, I, I like it. Well, yeah, but it, you, you know, it's going to make you overweight. It'll give you diabetes. Uh, it, 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 will ruin your life in the long run if you drink enough of that stuff. So why did you do it? And and he and he, he said, well, because it tastes good. And he pressed him again. Finally he said, because it gives me pleasure. And then the guy said, you Christians have a problem that you don't understand the difference between pleasure and happiness. Mm. And he goes, happiness is, is what you get when and he, and then he basically talked about fulfilling your identity and your calling. Mm-hmm. And pleasure is something that's fleeting. And I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'm in Philippians lately. And, you know, where, where Paul talks about not having apprehended that for which he was apprehended. I, yeah. I, I wrote some notes in my Bible about this is where happiness happens. Yeah. And that that idea of fully expending your life for the Lord. You know, I'm yeah. 78 years old. And there's there's times, you know, my wife and I bought into the Marriott Vacation Club and we probably bought more of it than we should. We could be gone from our house for a lot of weeks out of the year. Yeah. And there's times that I was like, you know, I just quit doing all this stuff I do and, you know, run around the country with Exponential and yeah, still do some overseas stuff and all that. And all the podcasts, and it takes time. Yeah. But really, I'm happiest when I've, when I really have yeah. shut up and marched and, and yeah. done what God has asked of me. I, I think if we, if we can see the ministry in those kind of terms and not yeah. my terms, but in terms of submission and surrender that Paul's yeah. terms, yeah. what what we were apprehended for, or even, um, and I'm preaching here a little bit, but I, no, I, I love it. Keep going. I remember doing a, a, a thing about what was it that you thought would happen when you felt called for me uh, as, as a young kid, my dad grew up in, in Eastern Oregon in Madras and Bend when yeah. the, those were nothing towns. I mean, my dad yeah. <laughs> in the depression. Yeah. And I remember we went to my great grandfather's house in Madras. And at that time, Prineville, which is a really beautiful yep. city was again just a little gas station and a couple of cafes and a post office. And and I had it in my mind. I'd gone to youth camp, Foursquare Youth Camp, and a lot of the people who worked in the camps, uh volunteers, were pastors of real small churches. And many were bivocational. And at that time yeah. 
that our world or the, the culture that I was in kind of looked at a bivocational guy as a loser. Yeah. And so uh, I, I had met a guy who pumped gas for a living so he could afford to pastor 25 people in a little church building. And I felt like when I said yes to Jesus that I'd become a pastor, although I had other ideas, I, I had thought maybe I could spend my life, you know, moving serially up and down the Oregon coast. I could plant yeah. a church, raise a kid, go plant another church, raise another kid and, and do that over and over. Yeah. But what I thought was I'm saying yes to Prineville, Oregon and pumping gas so that I can feed my family and I'll be a pastor of 20 people. That's yeah. That was that, and I and I look back on that, and I'm, I I take joy in the in that memory, in that yeah, it was so awful, and I was I I felt like the Lord forced me to say yes to that, and then He had another plan, a much bigger plan than I could have, if, yeah. if I had known His plan, I probably would have run the other way. I, yeah, right. I, what what's happened in my life? Um, sometimes I I feel guilty over. The, the good things that have happened in my life. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that. So talk to us a little bit about your role in in uh, in, in overseeing church planters and yeah. kind of what, what you what you do, how, how yeah. you handle this and and how you keep it, uh, how to keep it personal. How do you keep it from just being institutional? Oh, yeah. Those are great. Um, yeah. So I'm the national director of church planting for Foursquare. Uh, we call it Foursquare Multiply. Uh, and our guiding metaphor is we say we're a trellis that comes alongside the life of the vine. So the 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 life of gospel multiplication of kingdom expansion is in the local church. It's in local leaders um, and God's at work in every culture, every context, every model. We're not uh, a movement that only wants to plant one type of model. You know, if Jesus is preached, people are loved and the city is reached. We want to do that. So, um, so we say, Hey, we can be a trellis though. We can come alongside differing vines and we can provide necessary structure and support and scaffolding so that the vine has a, a fighting chance to long-term viability. We do that through four ways. We help planters and churches identify potential church plants, which there's a whole process in that. We help train. So we have about a two to three year process of different on the ground and in-person trainings that we do. We coach. So we have uh, sort of a constellation of coaches through sending partners and catalysts and other leaders to help coach planters. And we fund. And our funding model is not exorbitant. We try to fund fruitfulness. We try to say, hey, like a vine, we're not going to do it for you. One of the things I learned about vine dressing that I found so fascinating is um, the first year or two, I forget exactly how many, when a new vine is planted, uh, the farmer won't water it. Hmm. And the reason why it only drinks rainwater because it mm -hmm. teaches the roots to go deep into the earth to find water. So a similar thing from a funding, you know, as you and I know, uh, if you think that the most important thing to planting a church is how much money you're going to get, you are mm -hmm. sorely mistaken. Yeah. Um, but it's important. So we want to get just enough so that as the roots are going down, we can accelerate that work, but not do that work for you. Yeah. Um, so those are the ways that we come alongside. And there's a whole ecosystem that goes into to each one of those. Um, I think, you know, how we keep it personal and not institutional. Some of that, this is going to sound redundant, but it's kind of, you know, what the Lord did to me over COVID and, and even early on in my life in my call 
you talk to my family, you talk to my friends, you talk to my youth pastor. My youth pastor wanted to send me to Life Bible College. I did not want to go. Kind of a Jonah. I think I knew what following God meant. I had counted the cost at a young age. And I was like, yep, I'm good with that. I don't want it. Uh Um, I think I just recognized the way of the cross. You know, exactly what you said. The way of the cross is actually not self-flagellation. That's what the Pharisees thought. You know, just thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The way of the cross is death to self, death to will. You know, like I have no will uh, other than what God wills. I have no time other than what God has time has given me. There's earlier, maybe like a year ago, I was finding that it felt like spiritual attack was increasing in my life. And part of that, I think, is because I was taking my sanctification more seriously than I ever had. The spiritual disciplines had become so real that there wasn't internal space, so it had to be externally. But uh, there was one... One day I was joking with a friend. I was like, good gracious, do I have to put on the armor of God every single day? Can I not just put on spiritual sweatpants one day, <laughs> you know, and Satan will leave me alone. Um, but I think, you know, the more you take seriously this life of being holy gods, yeah. um, the more sin and the more worldly vanities and glories just don't matter. Like that, that happiness that you're describing, it's exactly it. I mean, Paul and, and Philippians, you know, like, as we all know, we've all preached it. Paul, when Paul says that all these things are scubala or rubbish, we have to remember that Paul was winning by the world's games. He says, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, I'm blameless. He says mm-hmm. in um, Galatians that I had advanced more than peers of my own age. Yeah. Like this wasn't a guy who was a loser in the world's eyes. He was winning. Yeah. He had tasted it, and he says, once I discovered who Jesus is, even though I am now persecuted more than anyone else, this is far of far more surpassing value. And I think in a small way, I can understand that language better. Yeah. I think this sense of, man, Jesus's presence is so good, and his gospel, where he is fully in charge, where we come under his loving lordship in every area of our life, is so good, though it's the most painful thing I've ever done. There's such richness there um, that everything else, those, those worldly vanities, so of like preserving an institution, yeah. which isn't, isn't a bad thing, but that's not my goal. I have no desire to preserve an institution. I do have a desire to call people and to fan and to flame the work of the spirit to reach their cities and reach those who are far from him. Let's do that. That's far more exciting. Um, so I think the things that I've done to keep it personal, it's just remain true to the prayer closet, you know, like fundamentals. But like actually meaning that um, I've cut out a lot of things in my life that weren't bad things, but they just weren't bringing me closer to Jesus. And I've really filled them and replaced them with my family with, with things that have been difficult at first, because I think America is drenched in dopamine. So like to cut out some of those dopamine generating substances that just numb us and just sit silently and quietly with the Lord, sit in prayer and worship and fellowship. That's not easy. It takes a lot of time to sort of reset the brain. But the more I've done that year over year, the more I've enjoyed it, the more I feel like I have been rewired and being rewired and hopefully catching a spiritual vision for what God is doing in this in this new season, which I think is a really exciting one. Personally, I think the Lord is stirring hearts in profound ways. They're not in the places where we normally look. Um, I think you have to look a little bit deeper, look off the beaten path. I mean, again, go read the Bible. Yeah. Nazareth what, what yeah. good is coming out of Nazareth right like you got to go look in the places that people aren't normally look go, go look at the, the churches in Prineville 
you know, in yeah. the gas stations there. Like that's, that's where there's renewal that's taking place. And that excites me. Well, you know, that was the story in, in the Jesus movement. And yeah. I want to put a plug in. There's a book called the fourth turning and it's mm-hmm. written by um, uh, Robert Strauss and Neil Howe. They wrote a book in 1982 called generations. It's 800 pages long and you don't. Oh need my to gosh. <laughs> called generations, a history of America's future. And the basic premise of the book is that starting with the, the Puritans, the Puritans were uh, young when they came to Massachusetts to build the city on a hill. Um, they were the most well-educated generational cohort in the history of the country because they were basically Oxford and Cambridge graduates who had mm-hmm. problems with the Pharisaical Church of England. Yeah. And every four generations since then, there's been a, they, they plot this cycle. There's been a spiritual awakening, starting with the Puritans coming here, and wow. then to the Great Awakening, then the Second Great Awakening, the Cambridge revivals. Uh, it comes down to Pentecostal revival, oh, wow. and then the Charismatic movement and the Jesus movement, sixties and seventies, over, yeah, overlapped. But they, but they said in that last spiritual awakening. It was a half Christian and half New Age awakening. This is 1982 that they wrote. And they said that we will come upon what they're calling the fourth turning, where the wheel turned again. Yeah. And and they they predicted that it would happen in the 2030s. But now they've written this book, The Fourth Turning. And it's called it's actually not called The Fourth Turning. That that was a book that came out about 20 years ago by yeah. these guys. The book that they, they that they just came out with is called "The Fourth Turning Is Here." Wow. And so what they're saying is really what you're saying. They're they're yeah. they're not believers. In fact, their book, their first book was the Christian History of America, really, because the history of America is Christian. That every time right. we get all messed up and all at war with each other, one way yeah. or another, we end up having a spiritual awakening, and it, wow. and it redeems the country. And that was that hmm. that's. So you don't need to read generations. I just told you <laughs> eight hundred pages in two yeah. minutes. I love it. <laughs> but the, but what they're saying is that we're everybody's wringing their hands about Gen Z and how messed up they are, and, and here's the broken country that we live in. But the but the pockets of 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 spiritual awakening are upon us, and yeah. it's 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 a book worth reading because um, there's there's hope. And they're saying that what we thought was going to happen in the 2030s is starting to happen now, which wow. is very helpful for yeah, the so. nation. I'm certainly seeing it. Like, I mean, you know, Faith Center, we own a college uh, age living uh, dormitory on campus, on the U of O's campus, Sleep 60. And so we have a lot of college students and getting to know them and talk with them more. They are remarkable people. Gen Z, I found, is, and I'm a millennial, so different than millennials. Millennials were told that we could change the world. You know, so we actually had this complex, this, this savior complex of, and this is the tech boom, you know, like we can actually bring the world together. We can, we can save it. We can build Babel. We can build a tower tall enough that it's, it's going to make a name for us and do really good. And we've, now we're all disillusioned in all sorts of ways, but Gen Z, I found they never grew up with such grand aspirations. They actually grew up in the, the carnage of everyone's grand aspirations or promises being revealed as hollow. Um, 
And so there has been an element of malaise, but I think that's the beauty that spirit has been able to work through because we're millennials. You have to cut through all the selfish pretensions to get to the root. Gen Z has just been an open book and authentic from the start. Like, this is what we see. We see it. There's smoke and mirrors. We want something substantive. We want something real. And then the power of God is just starting to meet them. And, and they're latching on. They're becoming evangelistic in nature. They're a lot quicker to both encounter and realize that this God is asking for all of their lives. And they're a lot quicker to give all of their lives than I think I saw in myself and I saw in previous generations. Gen Z in, in the parlance of these guys that wrote this book fits with what was called a silent generation. It came up before the baby boom. Mm. The baby boom is associated with the Jesus revolution mm. because we all inherited it, lived it, whatever. But the leaders who, who, who God used to get it going were part of what was called the silent generation. The generation never accomplished much. But yeah. the spiritual leaders that rose up in it, and Roy Hicks yeah. Jr. was part Would of be that one of those silent yeah. generation. Uh, yeah. Ron Mel was part of that generation. Yeah, uh, the, these guys were the the people that us guys were able to to learn from and and follow. Yeah. And we inherited. I mean, in a very short period of time, uh, this thing got going. Uh, we we came up. We inherited it. We we moved with it. And then a lot of our generational cohort turned into uh, seeker-driven, seeker-sensitive sure, yuppies, sure. Um, sure. And, we, and we felt like they sold they they sold our revolution down the river. <laughs> I think these are are good times, and I'm excited that you're in the role that you're in, and and in the town that you're in because Eugene is a unique place, and Faith right, Center yeah. is unique in your positioning yeah. with the U of O, and I think that's yeah. exciting. Is there anything that you would like to say that you'd like for people who is mostly people who are listening to this are, are church planters. A lot of guys are in the micro church. Uh, yeah. A lot of people are network leaders. Uh, anything that you just would have on your head that you'd like to say to other people. Mm. You know, um, I don't know. This is just coming into my heart right now. So I'll share it. It's a, it's a verse that the Lord really revealed to me during COVID. And I feel like it's going to be an obvious one, but just kind of the season that we're in. Um, the Lord, uh, the, the verse where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, that this is a people who honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah. That was something that I sensed was so strongly was happening in COVID. And, and even maybe this is the 2020s where we're, it's being revealed and that's what apocalypse means. As we know, it's a revelation. It's a, it's a revealing it's being revealed the distance between people and institutions lips, what they say and what their hearts actually believe, trust, want, hope in, delight in. And um, even that was my story. You know, that's kind of what I've been hinting at. Like there was distance for me that the Lord's like, Hey, I want to, I want to shorten this distance i want i want there be such integration between what your heart actually believes and what your lips really say and that's a that's a painful work of sanctification but it's such a it's such a gift it's such a wonderful place to be um so i guess my encouragement would be for all of us to continue to do that introspective work that work before the lord i mean like, is there distance between what my lips are saying and what my heart actually does or wants on a daily basis and if so 
what would it look like to engage the gift of repentance, to bring that before the Lord, to allow him to shorten that gap and integrate us? Because I do think when you look at, you know, why was Jesus so compelling? Because there was zero distance between his heart and his lips. Yes. You know, I, I do what the father does. I say what the father says. And I'm an open book in that way. I first think that's what's so fascinating about Acts 2. I want to write a paper on this. When, um, when they were accused of being drunk, like what was it about it? What was it about their behavior that gave off an appearance of drunkenness? Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that wants to say their inhibitions were gone. Yeah. Like drunkenness, you know, there's, there's no distance between what's in your heart. It comes out of your mouth for good or bad, you know, like, and I, I wonder if there's something about a holy drunkenness that even we see in Ephesians five, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the yeah. spirit. Like the more you're in the presence and intimacy with the spirit, the more that disconnect, those inhibitions are gone. You just, you're just free. You just, and you're, and you're kind of weird, you know, like to some yeah. people, but you don't know you're weird. You're, you don't have any sort of self-regard in that way. And I just feel like there's just, that's what the Lord seems to be doing. He's restoring a sense of holiness and, and wonderful consecration, sense of personal intimacy. And church planting is one of the most fun things I've ever done. And I certainly like, you know, it's one of those things that you would understand on those hard days at Faith Center, when I have my uh, uh, escapist fantasies, I don't think about running off somewhere. I think about, I just want to go plant another church, you know, <laughs> I just want to go plant a church. It's one of the most fun things. It's also one of the most difficult things. And I think those two go hand in hand. But my encouragement would be the, the way it becomes even more fun and maybe not as difficult is if that integration, that distance yeah. between heart and, and, and lips is as, as reduced as possible. So that's good. That's really good. Well, if, if somebody has questions or maybe they'd like to get involved with what yeah. you're doing, you know, in terms of your role with the uh, denomination, whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. is there a way that they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website, foursquaremultiply.org. You can fill out information there, learn more about what we're doing. Um, I also have an Instagram, Russell William Joyce. Uh, you can find me there, shoot me a message. Um, or my website uh, on, on faithcenter.org, you know, has my email. So lots of ways. I'd love to connect. Good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I'm thanks I'm for having me around. meet you and I'm, I'm thrilled yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed our time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.